We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. No Pete today. Darius is in the house, and I remain in Texas. we got this little Texas two-step with the Spurs, the mini playoff series coming up. And Darius, the way we wanted to start, though, was to look at this first, this four-game stretch. So it's the Spurs twice, of course then two home games that in terms of how the teams the Lakers will be playing have been playing are winnable games uh, against Indiana, who is playing well, but that game's at home. And then against Portland, who may continue to be without Damian Lillard. Right now, the Lakers are five and 11 uh, before they play these two games against San Antonio. So what would be a satisfied Darius Soriano perspective after these four games? So not necessarily in terms of how they play, but just raw results, Darius, as the as they try to get the record uh, back up to closer and closer to 500. Mike, you're talking my language with the raw results stuff, like the time for moral victories passed probably about a couple of weeks ago, and the standings are what they are. I know that the Lakers aren't the only supposed team that wants to be doing better than what they are. The Warriors are probably just like, get it off my lawn when it comes to some of this stuff, but I think think three and four is where they need to be and a clean sweep is on the table for them and so for these next four games including the Spurs right so you think about the two Spurs games and then home for Indy home for Portland the potential that Dame would not play um, Indy's an interesting game to me and, and we could talk about them a little bit more because like you said they are playing well it, it might surprise people to know that they're fifth in the East uh, at 10 yes. and seven right now. They've yes. won seven of their last 10, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll get into them. Well, they're like Eastern conference Sacramento to me a little bit, right? Like they're, they're young. They've got some, they've got a couple of key vets that are playing well, but they are, they, they are a team that that's up and coming and, and just out there doing their thing. And teams around the league thought they were going to be a tanking team early on, I think. And they're not. So from a raw results perspective, though, I'm thinking I want three wins and 
like really I want four, but like I'd be happy with three. I think two and two is not good enough for this particular stretch because in the second half of the pod, we'll talk more about the December schedule and the December schedule is rough. And I think these next four games are super important to the Lakers. Am I aiming too high, though, Mike? Like, where are you at with this? Well, it's always so sometimes I'll go do the Spectrum show and they'll do the next 10 games and there'll be a big graphic and you have to send the producer what your picks are for, you know, how the Lakers will do in each one. And then you talk about at the end what your overall thing is. Is it five and five or seven to three? And I always think it's very difficult to do that because in the NBA, your next result depends on your previous results much more than in many other contexts. Although that, that is how sports works in general, right? But like if the Lakers were to lose to the Spurs on Friday, you better be damn sure that they're bringing a additional level of energy on Saturday. That's just human nature. Um, that's how things go. Even if you tell yourself the team, if a team tells themselves that they're in desperation mode for the first one, but Friday's game to me is interesting in one part because of the players that could be involved that weren't in the previous one. And for the Lakers, that would be LeBron James for the Spurs. That would likely be Jakob Pertl, uh, both of whom didn't play when AD just you know kicked the Spurs ass on Sunday. And those, t- those two players certainly changed the way that that game goes. And then that, the way that that game goes, goes into the next one. So that's my little precursor and cop out. But the shorter answer is that, yeah, they should expect to win at least three. Um, out of these four, if they're if they're if they're going to continue to play the way that they they're at least internally arguing that they can play to get to the point that they want to get to. And the biggest part of that represents Anthony Davis being at this stage. The secondary part includes Dennis Schroeder and Thomas Bryant making the rotation a little bit more whole. And the third part, which really might be the first part, is how LeBron is able to play and how he looks physically and how he's able to impact things around that. But the presumption would be that LeBron is coming back and is going to help. And around that, it's just more Patrick Beverly's absence throws another wrench in the road, in the rotation, which we haven't talked about yet. So that's a three game suspension. And that's the thing I want to hit you back on because we've, we've speculated and talked plenty about LeBron and how he's going to look. And I think that we just need to see it. Um, as opposed to like, well, if he looks at 80 percent, they're going to do that. So let's see it before we analyze it. But Patrick Beverly being out, Darius, it's weird. He he has not played well or shot well on offense, certainly. And yet for all of the stuff that we've seen, he still has one of the best net ratings on a team that doesn't have a lot of uh, a lot of productive net ratings. Uh, it's basically just Austin Reeves and then the small sample size of like Thomas Bryant and Wendy and Gabriel um, that are above him so far this year. So the team does still, even when he's not shooting and even when he's you know turning the ball over some, like I'm i I'm just a little bit less inclined to dismiss Beverly being out as, you know, as somehow helping, right. The Lakers and helping the offense early. I, I, I do think it's something that should be accounted for. No, I think that you're right. And look, I've been, I've been frustrated with Pat Bev's offense. Um, I think that he's, taking things off of the table with the way that he's playing offensively, but his commitment defensively is super important. And it's, he is a cog in the machine that helps the Lakers win the minutes when he's on the floor and winning minutes while you're on the floor as a five man group, there's a lot of pieces that go in 
to that. And one of them is individual shot making and playmaking, which Beverly is doing some playmaking, but basically zero shot making. But the rest of it is just being in the right place and doing the right thing. And he does that defensively just so much that the value of that remains high within the context of the team structure. And that's the part of things that I think is difficult to dismiss Mike. And I think it's part of the reason why his numbers bear out the way that they do, because he is reliable in key ways that you need players to be reliable. If you expect to play good team basketball. And that's, that's sort of an intangible thing that not all players do. And he does it and he does it way more often than he doesn't do it. So That's where I'm at with Pat Bev. That said, I am interested to see how the roughly 20 minutes a game that he might play, how those minutes get distributed, and whether or not other players on the court who take up those minutes can approximate some of the things that he's doing defensively. So not all the way there, but approximate them while upping the offensive level you know, by whatever number percent that you want to give it, right? Because Pat has not been making shots. He's been attacking closeouts and making some plays off the dribble, particularly in driving kick plays and setting guys up. Um, lob here to AD or an interior pass to AD here or or a kick out to Austin Reeves there. And those plays are helpful plays, but him not hitting shots is a drag some on these lineups as well offensively. So that's where I'm at with Pat Bev. I think that the Lakers have depth at his position, which is helpful. And and, and so the guy that I would pivot to there is Dennis Schroeder. I think he's the player who needs to find his rhythm. And I'm wondering if getting more minutes will actually help Dennis find his rhythm because he's been in and out of the lineup enough where I think it's been hard for him to sort of find his groove, particularly as a bench player when Russ is already coming off of the bench too. But do you agree with me that Dennis is the key guy here or are you looking to someone else, maybe Austin to do even more or Troy Brown to to sort of find his rhythm a little bit? Because we talked about him the other day as well and and some of the symmetry that he has with LeBron. So, So where do you see it? Yeah, I think there are two different ways to look at it. And the first one would be, well, if LeBron is playing, that's the person who is replacing Beverly in the starting lineup. And then you're you're still slotting Dennis into that bench role, although you may up his minutes some uh, because you're going to need some more of that creation. And with that said, of course, LeBron's going to handle a certain amount of creation too. That, so that's the first approach, that you just keep things mostly the same. You plug LeBron in, and you switch the defensive matchups a little bit. The second one would be just rip the Band-Aid off of Dennis Schroeder, start him next to LeBron uh, in that spot, and then you put either Troy Brown Jr. or Austin, and maybe Austin because you want them, you want him then to be handling some more of the playmaking duties off the bench. Although, of course, that's what Russell Westbrook um, has been doing a lot of. So I think that I tend to lean towards – keeping Austin who's been playing so well uh, in that starting lineup and having LeBron go in once he's able to play and then keep upping Dennis's minutes off the bench and just continue to hope that he gets a rhythm. But instead of just putting him in the starting lineup for, for the rhythm, you know, let him try to find it more with the second unit until he, he just gets 
more of that overall going on in this game. Mike, so I don't want to speak for Pete here, but with him not here, I think this is an idea that he would bring up. One of the reasons why Austin has been playing better is because his usage has been upped and he's been taking on more responsibility within the context of the offense. He's been more aggressive. He's been taking more shots. He's been initiating more sets. And if you keep him in the starting lineup and LeBron returns, right? And so you are removing basically a non-usage player in Beverly and replacing him with a high usage player in LeBron. And that usage is going to have to come from somewhere. And it's likely going to come from Austin Reeves and probably some of Lonnie Walker. What would your concern level be about Austin being able to maintain the level of production and that level of aggressiveness? Because Austin is one of those guys that is going to defer to LeBron, I think, and he's not going to monopolize as many possessions. And how do you see that balance? And is that important to you or or are you just like, hey, like I want Austin in there. Let's figure it out. Yeah, I do want Austin in there and figure it out, but I'm also less worried about the production and the usage because he's had some really good, he's had plenty of good stints out there with LeBron when he has been lower usage in the past. And I think that it's it was less about just LeBron and more about the overall picture of things. And the rotation this year, it's just been something that Darvin Ham has been needing to figure out. And yeah. it's also something that's going to be imperfect based on some what some of the availabilities are for the two-way wing type that they lack and the guard that they have too many of. So I trust Austin to figure all of that stuff out, and I think that that will come in time. And playing him less to me doesn't necessarily help because there isn't, there isn't a player, I guess Shooter would be the closest, but that I'm thinking, yeah, this guy definitely needs to get a lot more minutes with this group. So that's the, and how that plays out in these next four. And especially, I think, against the Spurs, the Spurs are like they're better than what the Lakers saw, I think, in that previous game when they didn't have Pirtle, which was just about the first time they didn't have him because their basic defensive plan it was just a filter towards him. And yes. when they couldn't do that, all of a sudden they were just giving up heaps and heaps of points in the paint and didn't have much else going on. And then Keldon Johnson had an all-time bad shooting night for himself and Vassell took forever to get going. So they were just bad. They had played the day before. Like, I think that they're going to be more plucky um, than what they were in that contest. And, and even with that said, they're still going to be at the lower end of what a talented type of team that the Lakers are going to start to see in December. And even the way that Indiana um, is playing right now, because I do want to get to those two home games. We've already seen Portland Darius, and and I think we can spend a little bit less time on them, but Indiana, I think, offers some other intrigue for people in part because of all of the the offseason and whatever ongoing trade rumors that are in that. But what's basically been carrying them um, has been the play of Miles Turner on both ends since he came back, coupled with Halliburton, who I think people already know um, is really good. And then their lottery pick, Benjamin Matherin, has uh, has been fantastic coming off the bench, averaging basically 20 points, you know, so they're, they're better than I think what they even look like on paper. Uh, they're young, they're athletic. They've got a couple of other bigs that, that are just bouncing around out there. So that's one of those games that I think on, when you just see it on the schedule as we just did, Oh yeah, the Lakers should win that, that game. But you have to, you have to slow that down a little bit um, to realize that they probably have overall this season played better um, than the Lakers, and they will be excited 
to be in that building. So it's not one that you can take for granted, I suppose, is the way I would put it. You definitely cannot. Well, I, I mean, logically speaking, Mike, the Lakers can't take any game for granted. They're five and 11. They're like from a record perspective, they're one of the worst teams in the league. Right. And so they're in the bottom six or seven teams and record wise. And so they're looking up at most of the league in terms of the standings. So by the way, it's Benedict, not Benjamin Matherin. I was just want to make sure I got that right. I think I said so I cut it to Ben, but he had some funny quotes. So Matherin is a confident kid. He is a confident kid, Mike. And and so I was watching some sort of podcast or TV hit, and it might have been Richard Jefferson who said this, but it was one of the ex-Arizona guys, right? And so all those Arizona guys, they're all tight with each other, as is often the case with colleges. But I think the Arizona guys especially feel a kinship. And so... One of these Arizona guys was was talking and he was talking about a conversation he had with with Matherin and he was they were talking about like, well, who the best player out of Arizona is ever right? Like, who's the best pro? And Matherin was like, well, it's me. And look, there have been some good pros that have come out of Arizona. Jefferson, right? Gilbert Arenas, Mike Bibby. There's plenty of other guys. Sean Elliott went to Arizona. There's been some high-level players that, that have come out of Arizona, but Matherin's like, no, it's me. And then I think it might have been draft night or leading into to the draft. They had talked about um, Matherin was comparing himself to LeBron or like there was that funny quote. My guy Ben Golliver um, was interviewing him and I think I think it was Summer League actually. And he he said something along the lines of, LeBron has to prove to me that he's still the man, right? Yes. So it was something like that. So it's an amazing yeah, quote. It, it's an amazing it quote. Gave me like, the old eyebrow raise, like, hmm, okay, interesting. Interesting, right? But it's just like stuff like that. I both roll my eyes at, and then also like it's it's great for the league. I think to have talented young players come in being confident and then when they get on the court showing that that they can play and Matherin he's in the he's in the running for rookie of the year and he's in the running for six man of the year he is having a wonderful season to start the year so Indy is definitely a team where when I'm talking about I want the Lakers to get three wins and I'd love for them to sweep. The fourth win is that indie win where I'm just like, oh, like, because I think the Lakers can play with Portland. Here's the exact quote. A lot of people, a lot of people say he's great, Matherin said uh, via the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. I want to see how great he is. I don't think anybody is better than me. He's going to have to show me he's better than me. So there you go. <laughs> I, just one last thing. I think the part like Darius, that is show best me. about that entire me. quote. Well, the whole, a lot of people say he's great. Yeah, I think a lot of people do say he's great, Ben. Yes, yes. Like, yeah, I don't know. Great. I've seen a couple highlights on TikTok, but you know, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying. It's such a. That's the part where us being older guys now can look at it yes. and just kind of laugh, right? Because it's in trying to put yourself in a what is he, 19 or 20 year old's head, and it's like, yeah, I guess I've heard a couple things about this guy over the years, but is he great? I don't know. He's never played against me. It's 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 a, uh, and I guess that's been working for him so far. So. Let's go to break here, Mike. And then when we come out from the other side, I do want to talk about this December stretch because they start out on the road and I want to get your thoughts about the Lakers going east. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Mike, the December schedule, it's rough. I feel like they play every other day. They've got, what is this, uh, one, two, three back-to-backs in the month, um, and they're on the road a bunch. And so they start out with a, what is this, one, two, three, four, five, six-game road trip, go win East. Yeah, what are your thoughts – yeah, so what are your thoughts about December? We just talked about the importance of this final four-game stretch of November, and I think one of the reasons why it is important is because this road trip to start the next month is going to be a tricky thing for the team to navigate and the month overall in general, and they need to springboard in. So so talk to me about December. Well, I think the way that I would approach looking at the Eastern Conference teams and just the Eastern schedule, which, of course, a lot of this is is made up of, um, it's the complicating factor is that the East goes deep uh, with not being bad. Uh, and that's how the West has been for the, for many of the last several years. But you get down to the bottom of the conference and it's really just Detroit and Charlotte that are bad. And that is one of the games that the Lakers have in the schedule. And I think that Detroit, by the way, would not be this bad as they are. They're five and 15. If Cade Cunningham had their best player hadn't missed most of the season so far, which he has. So, even in the teams, now, the, Orlando and Miami aren't on this trip. They're on an, an upcoming trip. But, like, those teams, they're at the end of December. You know, those teams are tough, and Miami is 8-11. and 11, But, you know, that's not like a, a game you can expect to go in their arena and win unless you play really well. Orlando's 5-13, and 13, but they're super talented and long uh, and big, and they can beat you on a given night. And all of these teams, when the Lakers come into town, especially with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, you will get one of their better games. You will get the better game than they just played against Charlotte or Chicago or whoever they saw. So that's the precursor now as you as you get into the schedule. And the games are as follows to start the month. It's um, at Milwaukee, at Washington, at Cleveland, at Toronto, at Philly, and then finally at Detroit. So all of those teams are either above or at 500. In fact, the Raptors and Sixers right now are both 9-9. Nine and nine. Um, the Sixers are very beat up. So that's one of those things where if Harden isn't back yet uh, on December 9th, we know that Maxi won't be back yet. That that's, a, that's one of those games that on paper becomes a little bit more feasible than if it was a fully healthy Philly team. But to start that trip, like that's 
it's not like the four game stretch that we just brought up where it's at San Antonio twice and then Indy, albeit who's playing well, uh, but in your gym and then Portland, who you know and might be without Dame. And Darius, this is when you start to think of why it's so important for the Lakers to not potentially blow a game in San Antonio. When you start to do what what the podcast that we had earlier this season, when I was starting to look at the play-in range and thinking, well, the, you know, even though the Lakers are only, what is it right now? They're three and a half games back of that last play-in spot. But all of those teams, here are the teams that are in the play-in right now. Memphis, Minnesota, Portland, and Dallas. Those are good teams. Even with Minnesota's <laughs> struggles, they're, they've won five in a row. You know, and they're 10 and eight. They're starting to figure it out a little bit. Those are the teams right now that are in the plan. And other than Portland, who's lost four in a row and might be without Lillard, who is going to be the team that just drops out of that? So that's the larger context. And now maybe you could maybe you could zoom in a little bit for us on this specific trip. No, the six game trip, Mike, like you mentioned that Philly is banged up and then they close with well with Washington. But Milwaukee's what they're second in the conference right now. Washington is sixth at 10 and 8. Cleveland is third at 12 and 6. Toronto is eighth. They're 9 and 9. And Philly is 9 and 9 as well. And so I was thinking about when you were mentioning Philly, like, okay, well, that's the fifth game of a six-game road trip. It's on the front end of a back-to-back. They are leaving Toronto. And it's the fifth game in like eight days. That's the part of the schedule that is hard. So just in terms of days, they go Friday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. And it's just like the whole thing is done in nine or 10 days, but they play these six games. It's not one of those two week stretches, right? Where they where they play six games over a two week stretch. There's these there's two back to backs that are jammed in there and it's like or I'm sorry, there's a single back to back that's that's jammed in there. And it's that wraparound of, all right, well, how are you going to handle this? And it's good teams. And then they come back and they play the Celtics. Right. That's the first game back from from the road trip. And then they finally get some breathing room with a couple of days off. But then it's it's Denver and then it's Washington again. And then it's at Phoenix, at Sacramento. This is a very difficult month, Mike. And I'm just looking at this from the perspective of how do they navigate this? And I don't want to be dour about it, but it's incumbent on LeBron to find his rhythm quickly. And it's incumbent on these guys that we're talking about, some of these role players about where their game's at. And then Darvin Ham in terms of how is he going to shake out the the rotation? This part of the schedule is going to come at them fast. And there aren't there isn't going to be a lot of time to find their bearings. They're going to be in the deep end of the pool very quickly. And that's sort of where I'm at with this particular stretch. And they need to ramp up quickly, in my opinion. So the way. The way that I would put it is the start of the season, they had a few excuses in terms of all of the new players and trying to find who's going to play in some cohesion. They had all kinds of different injuries and all that. This last little stretch without LeBron has emphasized the level that AD can continue to play at. And that's been the encouraging thing. But now with the schedule as it is, as we just go, we just went through it. And that's basically what we've done in this podcast. The Lakers have to raise their level, uh, and what they actually can produce on the court for that schedule 
to become at least a little bit less daunting than it is because the way that they've played so far, just all told what they are five and 11, even if you could argue that maybe if they got a couple more bounces, you know, they could be seven and nine, you know, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And then when you do that though, I I always kind of push back and say, well, sure. But then the games that you won, you could have played worse on that night. And then the, well, if Matt Ryan doesn't hit that three, right. If if, like that Matt Ryan three is a perfect example against the Pelicans, right? Like it goes both ways. Yeah, uh, and, and of course, the the other way on that game would be, well, yeah, but they were up double digits like five minutes before that. But yes, so <laughs> the point being, they really do have to play better. Uh, and I think the guy that can get them there uh, is a better LeBron and a, a LeBron that is that has now had some time, not just for his groin, but for his foot, hopefully to get better. And for a LeBron that can now look at the season and say, instead of, you know, 82 games, Right. He can he can sort of he's had he's had what, two weeks, essentially, um, since he last played. And he can now cut that down to a slightly more manageable stretch, you know, for him uh, at in year 20. And and that's part of, I think, where the Lakers can still have to hold some of that optimism. But Darius, if it doesn't come, we're going to know pretty quickly. And the first the first time we're going to know is that if they don't take care of business in these four games that that at least on paper um, are a little bit more manageable, then we're going to find out real quick when they go to Milwaukee. And then, you know, like that's it's just and then the losses are going could potentially if they don't play better could mount to the point where you're starting to look up at the standings, even in a different way than you are now when getting up into that plane at least feels closer. Uh, and, and that's what they obviously have to avoid. So I agree 100% on LeBron. I think that this is a chance for him to sort of look at the schedule and say, all right, it's not an 82 game season anymore. It's a 65 game season now. And how do I manage that stretch when I've had two weeks off? And yes, it was to deal with an injury, but I think this last week, felt like there was optimism that he might play last weekend. Maybe that optimism was a little bit misguided, but there was some feeling that he was ramping up potentially to play last weekend, and he didn't. He sat out a a whole nother week, which is good for him. And those quotes around, we're not going to rush him back. We want him to be close to 100%. Well, great, because when he comes back, they're actually going to need him to be 100%. And they are going to need him to sort of step in and take these Spurs games, for example, on back-to-back games. I don't know if he's going to play in both. I don't know if he's going to play at all, right? But but if he does play, he needs to sort of use these as his springboard into next week, right? Where it is Indy who's got some good wings and some rim protection. And then it is Portland where they've got a lot of bodies to throw at him as well. And then right there into Milwaukee, Washington, Cleveland, Toronto. That's a gauntlet, Mike, in terms of the types of big wing guys that you love. Right. And they're going to throw a bunch of solutions at LeBron James, whether it's Giannis or OG Ananobi or Kyle Kuzma or Chris Asportingas or Evan Mobley. All these guys, they're all going to get a chance on LeBron. And then they go to Philly and it's going to be P.J. Tucker. And it's like it's going to be nonstop for him. And he's going to see a bunch of these guys. So. In pivoting off of that, though, because I think we all know the importance of LeBron. We know the nature of his game. Let me add in on LeBron, though. I want to look at it in the context of LeBron watching these last several games 
and watching Anthony Davis and then going on Instagram and reposting a graphic that has AD's last you know, averaging 38 and whatever it was and thinking, yeah, that. so this next stretch here, LeBron, how can he – how can he come in and have AD playing at that level and then sort of expertly pick off the parts of the game where he's going to get his in terms of the production, but like where his assists are going up, you know, and where he's kind of continuing to call AD's number as opposed to early in the season where, you know, AD was still kind of just getting into it and getting ready. And it was often the ball just wound up in LeBron's hands on the perimeter and there were multiple possessions where he's like, all right, I guess I'll just face up my guy, dribble, dribble, and then eventually take a jump shot. Maybe that, maybe part of that shifts now where LeBron, since he knows that AD is in a good rhythm, he can give him the ball and then cut, right? Or just do all of the other basketball things that LeBron James knows how to do better than most players ever in, in the game yeah. have done. And essentially just use the way the defenses are having to defend Anthony Davis and manipulate that. Um, as to, as opposed to having to manipulate the defense himself. Um, so that's this is one of those points where I'd, I'd want to throw it to you and Pete, you know, to get a thought each on. Um, and and I will happily settle for yours here and then kind of keep that in mind for something for Pete to, uh, to work on when he gets back. No, I think that this is 100% where LeBron's IQ comes into play and how his ability to read the game and determine what's needed. So a guy I used to love was Lamar Odom, right? And Odom was that Swiss Army knife player where he could get you 15 rebounds in in a game. He could get you 30 points in in a game. He could get you four blocks in in a game. He could get you 10 assists in a game. But it was very rare that he did two or three of those things in a single game, right? Because he was almost always filling in the gaps in in a way where the game was coming to him or he was picking out parts that were going to where he was going to leverage his diverse and high skill level and then deploy it exactly where it need, needed to be. And I think what you're talking about with LeBron, that's exactly that that same idea. And Odom is sort of like LeBron, right, where a guy who could do everything on the court. But LeBron is LeBron. So he's a level higher or two or three levels higher. And so I'm looking at this stretch as well, where it's not just with AD, Mike, but it's with like, how can I keep Lonnie Walker going? How can I keep Austin Reeves going? Like, how can I be the player where I'm good enough to dominate in transition or get some post up attempts here or be a passer out of the post or be an off ball worker and a cutter and a spot up shooter? How can I do all of these things? And in order to continue to keep AD in the rhythm that that he's in and keep some of the other perimeter players who need the ball, right, and who need actions run for them, I think it's some of that organization, too. Like, this is, an, this is a set that we're going to go to here in order to get the ball to, to AD, even if that means that he's giving up the ball early in a possession and not the one who's orchestrating it to start, right? Where he might position himself in the spot where Troy Brown would typically stand, right? Or where Patrick Beverly would will, would typically stand in order for them to run that action where 
Austin comes and sets a back screen for AD, but then AD actually flows into a pick and roll with Lonnie. So Lonnie could get downhill and then AD can flow into a post up, right? There's all of that stuff that that stuff still works, but instead it's LeBron who is the weak side guy. So if it's swing, swing, it's LeBron who is then attacking or it's LeBron who is cutting as AD has the ball in the post. And it's all that sort sort of stuff that LeBron can do expertly that a guy like Patrick Beverly just can't, right? And it's like, that's LeBron James over there. And the defense is always going to have to account for him. And I think him leveraging that attention that he's always going going to get, that may be one of the most important things that he can do for the team in, in order to keep that momentum rolling. No doubt about it. All right. So I am very curious, uh, as are you and as I think everybody are, to see uh, what happens here this weekend does LeBron come back? Uh, do the Lakers take care of business? How much does Jakob Pertl help the Spurs? And then how do they how do they get into those final two home games of the month before going on this epic, not just road trip, but basically the whole month of December uh, on the road? So we will be here at LFR to discuss all of it, and we'll uh, get Pete back, which will be you know basically like getting LeBron back um, once uh, the podcast resumes. So for Darius Soriano, I'm Mike. We will see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Laker Film Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that a lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the score. move. Two, one, miss it. Bryant, unbelievable. Score the victory. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.